Mark Zuckerberg had seen the movie An Inconvenient Truth, so the documented climate change documentary by Al, Al Gore, Gore yeah. which the company I was involved with, Participant Media, had produced in May. Okay. So he got inspired by the movie and somehow made the analog that uh, we, need, we, Facebook, need video on the site, all right? And we need somebody to do that, all right? Well, somehow they got it in their heads that nobody could figure out how to do that. I mean, my thought was, well, YouTube? could just kind of bring some links over and do what MySpace is doing. But that wasn't in the Zuckerberg world. So I got a call from a bunch of people going, Mark wants video on Facebook and wants you to do it. I went, okay. <laughs> G'day, you bloody legend. Dan Allen on the microphone here. <laughs> and Ed Ross. We are the co-founders of Trademark. We're a couple carpenters by trade who dropped the tools and embarked on a mission to change the face of mental health in Australia by using bright and funky workwear as a way to start conversations and make an invisible issue impossible to ignore. We figured if we're going to get people to talk about mental health, well, we need to lead by example and show blokes out there how it's done. So what we've done is we've started Trade Mutt's 120 Grit podcast, the podcast for the working class. So we're getting a variety of interesting people together and have insightful conversations about their experiences through life and their own mental health. Together, we're going to show people, especially blokes, that it's okay to talk about the hard stuff and encourage people of all kinds to do the same. If you've got any feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a subscribe or a like on YouTube, Spotify, or if you want to get in contact, admin at trademark.com. Enjoy. Chris Adams has had an incredibly diverse career with a background in film and media working on projects for some of the world's largest companies, including Facebook and Amazon. He played a key role in bringing video to Facebook and worked closely alongside Mark Zuckerberg. In this episode, Chris gives us an insight into the unseen world of Hollywood and Silicon Valley, as well as talking openly about some of the challenges that he has been through since relocating to Australia. But first, here's a message about our legendary sponsors who make this podcast for the working class possible. Quotespec is the newest building and construction quoting app created and designed by a working builder. Produce job-winning professional quotes in minutes with Quotespec's cloud-based quoting software. Get your free trial at www.quotespec.com and be prepared to get your life back. I made a muff up there, but I got through it. You beauty! Quotespec. We're on. Thanks, mate. <laughs> All right. Welcome to episode 17 of Trademark's 120 Grit, a podcast for the working class. Yeah. Today we've got a very special guest, mm. as usual. He's special. Every week. He's special this Every one. week. Chris Adams. Now, I'm just going to throw a few names out there. You've done a bit of work for Facebook, yep. a bit of work for Amazon. Mates with Mark Zuckerberg. Well, <laughs> Zuck. <laughs> well, we've bumped shoulders. Yeah. Participant media. Yes. Done a bit of work on the ASX. All round good guy and legend and catcher for West's Bulldogs. Yes. Chris Adams, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, boys. Very nice to be here. Good to have you in, mate. Thank Finally. You. Finally. Yeah. I know. It's been too long. I know, I know. Now, we met back at Impact Academy mm-hmm. in Spring Hill. Pasture to Plate, I remember you were a, a special guest uh, speaker for the first Pasture to Plate that we attended. Yep. And You, you guys were cash flow positive by then. Yeah. So. <laughs> was that three days in, was it? Yeah, three days, 72 hours. Yeah. Well done. And you just had an incredible story, um, a wealth of experience, and I was just gripped by some of the some of the stories that you were telling about Facebook, because mm. you just don't get an insight into into that sort of stuff. People don't normally hear it. No, yeah. well, especially our audience. I was saying before, we haven't had someone in the white-collar <laughs> side of life in here yet. So yeah. it's going to be good to chat with you, Cradams. Because Facebook, it. yeah, I don't know anyone else that's ever had anything to do with Facebook, <laughs> as in working with it. Yeah, everybody has everything to do with it. But, yeah, now. But actually working at HQ. Yeah. So run us through that. How did you get a gig at Facebook? Um, it's actually... it's. One of those strange things that's kind of part and parcel to my career. My wife likes to say that I've just tripped and fallen into all the right places at all the right times. So familiar. It, yeah, it was just really, um, <laughs> I was actually planning on moving to Australia. Had had My wife and I had had our child and that was the plan, come down to Australia. And a bunch of my knucklehead friends from Amazon and eBay and Silicon Valley and the, from the 
the first kind of part of my career, had all joined this little tiny company that was giving MySpace a run um, and called Facebook. And it was still a college site at that yeah. point. It had like 6 million users, something yeah. absurd like that, you know. But the point is, is that uh, Mark Zuckerberg had seen the movie An Inconvenient Truth. So the documented climate change documentary by Al, Al Gore, Gore yeah. which the company I was involved with, Participant Media, had produced in May. Okay. So he got inspired by the movie and somehow made the analog that uh, we, we, Facebook, need video on the site. Right? And we need somebody to do that. Right? Well, somehow they got it in their heads that nobody could figure out how to do that. I mean, my thought was, well, YouTube? You, know, you could just kind of bring some links over and do what MySpace is doing. But that wasn't in the Zuckerberg world. So I got a call from a bunch of people going, Mark wants video on Facebook and wants you to do it. I went, okay. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so don't know how to do that. Um, sat down with Mark. First and foremost, I had to have him explain to me what Facebook was because I didn't know. Um, I was 40. Um, he was 12. What was his pitch? <laughs> what was his pitch? Uh, he, he, he came with the kind of very standard or very, very succinct pitch that Facebook is a social utility that connects you to people that you already know, mm. right? Which to me is a phone, right? Like I'm thinking if I know Ed and Dan and I want to connect with them, I'll ring them, right? So naive me, um, you know, kind of digital 1.0, uh, was thinking that Facebook was unnecessary because we have mobile phones. A Motorola um, Razor right here in my pocket. Right, Mo <laughs> Motorola Razor. <laughs> Roll so I said, look, that's, that's not going to work for me because I don't understand that. And yeah. he said, okay. All right, let's back it up. So when you wake up in the morning in your work life and you, you know, you're, you're going online and what's the first thing you do? Email. All right. Okay, Outlook, whatever, whatever your, your tool is, Gmail, Outlook, Apple Mail, whatever. But email is generally the first thing that we do and did at that point. And he said, your entire work life is on email. I said, yes, that's where I live. Okay, that's where most people live. He said, great. We want to be Outlook for your life. So everything that is about your life, mm. you know, your, your kids, your family, your friends, the places you go, the things you experience, your hopes, your dreams, your whatever, blah, 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 all that stuff goes on Facebook. I went, right, okay, outlook for your life. Well, he was right because that's what it is, mm. right? Yeah. You know, we have email and we have Facebook. And, I mean, generally, that's kind of someone's life right there. So how do you incorporate video into that? Um, I came up with this crazy idea to call a multi-Emmy and Peabody award-winning Award reality television producer who I know. Kim Kardashian? No. <laughs> <laughs> guy named R.J. Cutler, who's just an absolute genius. And he was famous for making some pretty hard-hitting social issue documentaries and, and reality television shows. So I went to him and said, look, here's this, this Facebook thing, and we want to do, I don't know. And R.J. and I kind of workshopped it and came up with this idea called Facebook Diaries, where what we would do is there would be a call to action every other week on Facebook. So respond in the form of a first-person video diary entry to the question, who am I, right? Or what makes me laugh, mm. or biggest heartbreak, or biggest memories. So these are rather esoteric, you know, kind of questions. Now, this is pre-iPhone, right? So this is like webcams and mm. stuff, oh, of course. you know? Mm. So this is 2006, Yep. All right. So shit, we moved fast. Yeah, we moved Didn't incredibly fast. So this is like you know your your laptop doesn't come with a little camera in it. Right? So yeah. we figured we would get tens of videos a month. Tens. We, we got thousands and thousands and thousands of them. Yeah. Right. right. So each month, cut them together around a topic make a TV show, and it we did deals with Comcast Cable Interactive, the Independent Film Channel, and it became the first ever user-generated content linear reality television show that was made entirely... On Facebook. No, uh, it was, and it was broadcast day and date on Facebook, the independent film channel, and on Comcast. So it had terrestrial television, it had cable television, it had online, and it was a TV show that was made entirely of user-generated content. So there was no production. Yeah, right. No cameras, right? So not like... Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. It, was, it was pretty amazing. Um, and so that was, we started putting this TV show onto Facebook every month. And then bites of it would go 
um, you know, we they would kind of manipulate them around. And then <clears throat> where it all built up to, amazingly enough, was the idea that we've got all these outtakes and we've got these incredible moments that aren't making the show. What do we do with them? And we're sitting around in a meeting and a bunch of us kind of went, we could share them. You know, you should maybe share them. <laughs> you know, and the engineers are sitting there going, well, yeah, that's a good idea. And, I'm, and, and like, a, we're all sitting there going, and could you make a button? Right? Like a button you could share, like a share button. <laughs> and the engineers are going, yes, we can. Yes, yes, we can do that. Right? So, share, wow. share button. So, you're responsible for... Well, no, you, know, the, you, played, the, you played a part. Yeah, the show... This is history. Yeah, the show and So, the, so the, the two things happened as a result of the show. One is video went on Facebook. And the other was the, the necessary launch of the share button. Wow. Which is pretty incredible. It, it is incredible. Well, amazing for everyone out there listening, there. make sure you share this video. Yes, share this <laughs> podcast episode 17. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's epic, isn't it? That's awesome. It's incredible. So, incredible. Yeah, wow. And so in terms of when you're building that and when you're developing that, how closely are you working with you know the, the top dogs at Facebook? Very close. Yeah, right. Because it was, I mean, when I got there, there were, you know, single-digit millions of users. So in the three years that I was there, it went from you know, call it 10 million users and a college site to half a billion users, right? So, Mm. like, the first big injection of VC capital came in at that time. You know, Microsoft came in with nearly a billion dollars. The market cap went to billions and billions of dollars. Mm. Every time I would come, I was living in Los Angeles, and they were up in Palo Alto. Every time I would come up there, they had bought a new building. So I would be going to the team that was there to go and work with them, and I'd go to the building that I was at last week. And then two weeks later, they're like, oh, no, no, they're down the street. Down, take a left on Hamilton and go down there. So it was just... It was Rapid growth. Unbelievable. Mm. Unbelievable. But I spent a lot of time with Mark, a lot of time with his sister, Randy, who is incredible. She was like employee number two. She's now an ulti, oh, an, an, a multi-Tony award-winning Broadway producer. Wow. She's a singer, an actress. She's a children's book author. She's a... You know, keynote speaker. I don't know. She has a rock band. I mean, she's just unbelievable. Um, but I spent a lot of time with Randy wow. and a lot of time with you know folks like, and and go and look this up. But the first big management team of Facebook was people like Dan Rose and Mike Murphy and Chris Kelly and Owen Venata and Katie Germinder and you know a whole bunch of people that are now legends in Silicon Valley. Yeah, um, right. But I got to work, and some of them I knew before, but this amazing first team that came in because you had Mark and Chris and Dustin who founded it, and Facebook was a very young organization, but when you suddenly get piled on with hundreds of millions of dollars in VC financing, they want to have some seasoned people around. So it was just... What was the, what was the tone like there, though? Like, imagine, like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's running around with a billion bucks to start pumping into this... Tech platform. Pretty hectic. <laughs> what was the, you know, like what's the what's the mood? What's the in silicon, the stresses, in silicon you know? like, Valley. It was very look. It was at the same uh, at one point or in, in the same moment. It was very heady and very exciting, right? Because the mandate by the VCs and by the market was expand, expand, expand. Right? This is a race. Yeah. Okay. So get big fast. Yeah. Um, On the other hand, you have a bunch of people that have been with some very successful companies, but many of them had not been at the helm, right? There have been people who had worked in multi-billion dollar companies and had good, strong level positions, but all of a sudden, you know, your budgets go from like how I got to choose between kind of buying some t-shirts or buying some you know, pencils all of a sudden to, I have hundreds of millions of dollars. How many pencils do you want? How many pencils do you want? (laughs) Right. Um, So it was pretty amazing. How do they do, like, what what are the the staff and that they're like, as in, you know, are they working around the clock? Yes. I mean, so now you hear a lot about tech companies who build campuses that have, like, people live there, Mm. right? Um, Facebook was one of the ones that kind of pioneered that um, in that, when I started, it was literally two floors above a pizza shop, right? That's it. It was like 120 people. Um, engineering had had the, the – so the executives were on the top floor and customer service, and, and then engineering and development was a floor down. And <clears throat> one of the problems is is that the engineers never went home. Ah, uh, yeah. Like the developers never went home. That. So, you know, you'd walk into the development department, and there was just like 
it was pretty rank. Because <laughs> yeah. you've got guys... Like Gets red, pretty sweaty in there. Well, just, just piles of cans of Red Bull and just Doritos and pizza boxes and the whole thing. And these guys loved it. Yeah, right? yeah. Loved it. So they went, okay, well, from a you know personal hygiene and wellness point of view, we should get these guys to go home. Well, they wouldn't. They were sleeping under their desks. So they went, okay, we'll bring home to them. <laughs> so the first big building that they had had dorms, showers, change rooms... It had uh, 24-7 food service, 24-7 laundry. So, you know, you'd see, you'd walk in and you'd, the developer would have a big bag next to his desk and that was his clothes, right? <laughs> Washed. And then, you know, so when was the last time you went outside? Oh, I don't know. Get a bit of sunlight, <laughs> get a bit of vitamin D. Get a little bit of vitamin D. But it was very, very hair on fire. Do you think they uh, knew, because obviously Facebook is, you know, <laughs> once in a generation type thing mm. it's sh- completely shifted the yeah. whole landscape of i mean it, it is the creation of social media right it did is, they know yeah. what they were absolutely they knew what they had in their, in their palms of their hand percent wow. I, I get asked that question a lot did mark know did they know <coughs> yes never a doubt now the ultimate manifestation of it there are certain features and things that have become iconic that you know you you don't predict you don't predict a an individual feature. Did they predict that they would buy Instagram? No, you know, is that type of thing. But did they know that they would be the dominant force of the collection of data, images, video, and your life? Yes, that's the plan. I mean, right before the IPO, I sat down with a very dear friend of mine who ran. Uh, Everything, he, he ran mergers and acquisitions, but he basically had product marketing and business development underneath him. And I said, geez, you know, you got a billion users. Where are you going from here? And he said, well, we don't really see a need anymore for websites. <laughs> right. So kind of the internet is just is useless. It's just on one. Right. So one why? Area. And, and yeah. he made like the case for it was fascinating. If you have a Facebook page, Personal page, business page, charity page, everything you do. Is everything, okay. it's still central. Why yeah. do you need a website? There's an argument to say you don't. And you can even, like, we can sell our shirts through Facebook. I know. You do everything you through Facebook. Exactly. Yeah. You can sell your shirts. You, I mean, th- there's, there's virtually nothing it that you can do. do on a website that you can't do on Facebook. So that's their, it's kind of an eat the internet. You don't strategy. have to remember people's birthdays anymore. Yeah. Oh, it's so <laughs> handy, isn't it? It's very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Well, what uh, what was the move to Australia? When was when did that all happen? 2009. Okay. So um, I married an, an Australian, very, very fortunate. Uh, she came over to the States because I was working at Amazon at that time. Not but only did you marry an Australian, you married a Shazza. A yeah, Shazza. You did. Yes, I did. Shazza from the gong. So. <laughs> <laughs> You don't get any more like that's that's Shazza brilliant from the gong. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but the mandate, like, it was pretty simple. I was going to move to Australia in two thousand, or she was going to move to the states. I'd never been to Australia. She had been to the states. She said, "Look, I'll come over." Right. I was at Amazon. It made sense. But very clear mandate. I'm the only one in the family allowed to have an accent. So when we have kids, that's it. Boom. So when my son was thirty days old in two thousand and six because he was born in late 05, Whoop, boom, right? Got him passport, and we came down. Bought a house, whole thing. Yep. Um, we were playing, like I said, I'm going, because, you know, you don't mess with Australian women at all, right? They say, we're going, and you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. pretty, just make your life easy. Um, but we came down, and we were here for three months, and the whole thing, and then I got the call from Facebook, right? So we went back, but... Um, we moved down in 2009, right before my son started school. So it was, it was inevitable. It was never anything I had to stress about. Like people are like, oh, you know, you left your movie career and your Facebook and all that. I'm like, look, I didn't have a choice, you know, in the most wonderful way possible. Yeah. Right. It's I'm choosing my life, my family. Yeah. And that's it. And people are like, well, yeah, but you could have, you know, I didn't think that way. Yeah. I didn't go, what am I losing? I thought, you know, 17% of the American population has a passport but i get to live in another country and it's not like it's not like some place like i mean australia is pretty familiar mm. having lived in california for 20 years it's mm. not like i'm in uzbekistan yeah. something you know <laughs> so it's i hear the rental market's pretty good there. <laughs> <laughs> so you were so you had people i guess a bit bemused with the fact that you were immersed in this kind of silicon valley 
lifestyle mm. and you've upped and left. Yeah, they couldn't couldn't believe it. So it is that, made complete sense to me. It kind of seems like a little its own little world, right? Mm, I bubble. mean, obviously it is. It's, it's a little total bubble. bubble. And is that is that how it is? Is it like it's just look? I mean, it's the, the there was a twenty year period from you know kind of the mid nineties to the mid two thousands where it absolutely was a bubble because it you know it's it's a young industry. Yeah, I mean, technology is forty years old, basically. You know, you had the Hurley Packers and stuff like that, and then your, you know, you kind of eBay's and Yahoo's came up, and now here we are. So, it only had one place, really. Um, now, if you look, there's a Silicon, fill in the blank, Silicon Beach, Silicon whatever. I mean, from Austin, Texas, to the Valley here, to you know. Tel Aviv. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's amazing because it's this crazy thing called the internet, yep. right? It can go, go anywhere. anywhere. It yeah. can go anywhere. But it was very much a bubble. Like Hollywood for 100 years was a bubble because a lot of it had to do with where things are made. You know, people don't – if you really break down what Silicon Valley is all about, it's about writing code, right? If you break down what Hollywood's all about, it's about making movies, so they have to be made someplace. And yes, there's lots of locations and you can... But for 20 years, you really couldn't remotely write code to the level that you can now um, because the internet wasn't that fast. So computers weren't that powerful. Yeah, right. So you had a bunch of people... You were who limited. ...like-minded who had skill sets that were surrounded <coughs> by money um, and opportunity. So why not go there? Yeah. Right? But now it's ubiquitous. Yeah, right. From your experience working in that industry, I mean, you guess tech giants and just a, a different style of person, right? Who mm. is just you don't. Well, we were talking about getting some vitamin D before, but yeah. the people that dialed in, you know, to that lifestyle that mm. there's just they're kind of oblivious to, you know, this this outside. There is world. a lot of that. Yeah, there's a lot. It's of pretty that. scary. It is, but I think it's like any industry. I mean, immersion. Mm is part and parcel to any industry. You could be a truck driver, right? And you are driving very, very long distances, right? With a lot of time pressures and you're spending a lot of time on, the, on your own and there's environmental forces and there's all kinds of stuff and there's gas prices all the way through to being an engineer and a, you know, a developer to a lawyer. Um, I think one of the things that, that people struggle with a lot in any industry, and I saw it a lot in Silicon Valley and a lot in Hollywood, is balance. Yeah. Right. Because because particularly Hollywood and Silicon Valley are so they're they're just so um, there's so much noise around them. Right. There's so much visibility. There's so much news, you know, billion dollar valuations and billion dollar box offices and celebrities. And you've got Silicon Valley people that are now celebrities. That pressure is unbelievable. And it kind of feeds itself. Right. Like it's unfortunate that. It's you struggle family life. You struggle with. It sounds like it's almost addictive. Like it's, oh, an, it's, it's totally an, it's, it's a, a drug. Di- yeah, they're drugs. Absolutely. But we don't look at that. I guess addiction as the same way as we look at drugs, right? It's, well, it's I mean, the same thing. It is. It is something that it becomes a need that you can't get enough of. You can't get enough of making movies. You can't get enough of. You know, chasing the valuations of companies, next and, big you know, thing, being the first, or or you know, all those types of things. I mean, I, I look at it really simply that that the addictive qualities are pervasive in any industry. It really just comes down to when you lose perspective about why you're actually doing yeah. What's it. the reason? Like, what am I doing? So, I mean, I don't know about a lot of people, but I've gone. I've certainly seen it. It's happened in my life where you just become so consumed. Then you realize, well, wait a minute. It's called a job. Right. I mean, yes, it could be a calling, you know, and all those types of things. And that's where people, that, I think that's kind of the first thing when you start talking about obsession and addictions is that people forget that they're working because they have a house and kids. Yeah. Right. Oh, no, I'm called to it. You know, it's, it's what I'll, it's, it's part of me. It's if my If you soul. love what you do, you never work a day in that's, your life. That's the, and uh, those, those cliches have, I think, become kind of bastardized because if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life is a really lovely kind of Zen philosophy until you hear it come out of the mouth of a crazy Hollywood producer, right? <laughs> Who you realize is just hopeless, 
right? Famous rich, but, you know, on the fourth heart attack and all that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, I'm, it's looking back, I just saw so much agony and so much ex- ecstasy. Yeah, wow. Is there, um, is there anyone there, like, taking care? I mean, we're, there's obviously a growing shift towards, you know, um, taking care of your mental mm, health in, mm. in every aspect in your work and lots mm. of workplaces are promoting this. Is there anyone in those kinds of environments who are actually, you know, trying to promote that and oh, say, yeah. hey, listen, Absolutely. Like, go for a couple Ks on the treadmill. Or Absolutely. Like go for well, I think that if you look at something like Facebook, I mean, Facebook has become a distribution source for wellness and for mindfulness and for help and for reaching out. And, and it's wonderful because you can, as a practitioner or as a movement or everything from are you okay to me too to what you guys are doing, you know, um, you can use a platform like Facebook in order to reach people. The problem is, is that Facebook is set up to have everybody be able to reach everybody at an incredible speed. So it's the pace. Um, but those industries, like many industries, are absolutely rife with all kinds of programs, people, practitioners, therapists, help. I mean, you know, uh, the, in, in Hollywood for, you know, for many, many years, if you wanted to get something up on your competition, go to an AA meeting, right? This is like the ultimate in bad behavior. Go to an AA meeting, find out who of your competition at the studio is there, <laughs> and then hold it over them. Wow. Yeah, like it happens. Yeah. You know, they would, people would send their assistants to AA meetings. Hi, my name is Jane. I'm an alcoholic. And they'd be writing down if the big producer from XYZ Studio was there. Like it, it's, it's so nasty. you've got to deal with somebody. It, just take that as a vertical, right? You're dealing with somebody who has made the step because they have an issue in their life that happens to do with, let's say, alcohol. They are going to a place where they're supposed to be anonymous, and respected by a series of social mores and rules, mm. but it's being it's being completely purged by an insipid nature of of an industry that it gets. So you're going to get help, but you're not safe. Now it's not everywhere, but that it, that kind of stuff happens. Yeah, well. But there is a lot of good because the those industries particularly are like many unbelievably rife with pressure. Yeah, right, and ultimately. You know, the movie industry and the software industry, I mean, it's a lot personality-driven. Vision. Driven. It's very ego. It's an ego. I'd yeah. imagine there'd be a lot of people that would be just chewed up and spat out. Definitely. Like. <laughs> Definitely. Well, there's an old saying, how do you make a million dollars in Hollywood? Start with a billion. Wow. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so... <laughs> so you moved to Australia. How, moved uh, to Australia. how God. was that? <laughs> so that how was that? Was it what you were, uh, what you expected? Was I didn't that? know I what to expect. Was it a bit of a? I mean, it's a huge change of pace. Well, look, everybody says, "Oh, Brisbane, it's so slow." You know, Brisbane, Vegas. Yeah, you live in Brisbane. How could you live in Brisbane? It's like I love it. But I grew up on a farm. You know, like I grew up in a in a small town. Whereabouts? In Pennsylvania. Yeah, right. Yeah, so it's 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 almost coming full circle. Um, yeah. I love this quote unquote slow pace of Brisbane. I love, and I I love it that Sydney is its own thing, and Melbourne has its own thing, Perth has its own thing, Adelaide. I love them. I just really, I can't describe it any other way than I've been searching my whole life for home, not not as it relates to like my home, my family, but a home within myself where I considered myself to be at home. And I never felt it until I moved to Australia. Wow. That's cool. Seriously. Like it really surprised me a couple of years in, I was just happy and content. And people are like, what, you know, you're doing really well. I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of home. You know, and that word that's came out of my mouth, awesome and I was like, feel. wow, yeah. you know, really, that's what it is. That's, that's awesome. cool. Yeah, man, that's, that's, that's epic. cool. Shit. Well, yeah, it's a great right. country. And you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, mate, of course. It's yeah. the best. And so you've come over and um, you've, you've got a love for baseball, a yeah. massive passion for playing ball. Yep. You've found your, you've found your straps. They don't yeah. call it playing ball. That's basketball. Oh, no, you do. Do they? Baseball players call it playing ball. Oh, right. So, I was about to yeah. pull you up on that one. I was oh. like, that's a he's, shocker. He's always waiting to pull me up. <laughs> well, he's well. good at it. He is, isn't he? <laughs> and you found your you found your straps down there at West Bulldogs. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, well, it's incredible. I mean, it's like you guys know better than to get me started, but I'll be quick. Um, <laughs> the thing is, is that when you play a sport, you know, whether it's football, gridiron, right, um, or basketball, or baseball, or hockey, particularly the kind of the big four sports in America, 
if you are a top performing or if you're lucky enough to have a kind of career in high school with the club, with the, you know, your kind of whatever club, their equivalent of the club system next to it. If you don't go on to play in college, you're done. You stop playing ball. And if you play in college or you get drafted and you go into the minor leagues, if you don't advance to the professional ranks, whether it's the show or the minor leagues or whatever, you stop playing ball. All right, so I stopped playing baseball in 1985, right? And, of course, there's, like, softball and, you know, I went to college and fraternity and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But playing competitive baseball stops. Yeah, you, right. you don't play as an adult. I mean, there are now leagues and things. But for the most of my, from high school through my adult, you know, becoming an adult, there was just no opportunity. Come here as a club system. Unbelievable. Mm. I could not believe it. I took my son down when he was six, <clears throat> down to the baseball field and said, here's baseball. And playing t-ball and the whole thing. And the guy running the t-ball said, I was just, just throwing the ball to my son and stuff. And he's like, hey, do you play? Like, well, in the 80s, <laughs> you know, like, come along Monday night. How old are you? You know, and I would think I was 46, 45, 46. 30. Time. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> and he's like I'm, t- I'm 46. And he goes, great. You can play Masters. Come Monday night. You know, do what? We're going to play. What position do you play? I'm a catcher. And do you have any gear? No. Okay. Well, we've got it. So, lit- like, four days later, I'm mm-hmm. on a baseball diamond with all the gear on behind the plate catching uh, and never looked back. So I was a tw- there was a 26-year gap between the last time I played and now, yeah, well. which is incredible. You could play as an adult yeah. at any level. You and know, that's your community base there. I suppose you've met a heap of people. Oh, and that's your just, it's been extra it's, family. It's, it's, I have an absolutely huge baseball family. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's epic. So, you know, it'd be 52 playing baseball. You can hear how much you love it. Oh, it's, just, it's quite yeah. evident. I live for it. So when you've come to Australia, what did you so coming off the back of what we just talked about, mm. all that, all that sort of stuff over in the states? What was your what was your plan? Yeah. Didn't have one. No, no idea. Yeah, right. And, and I honestly, not Clive Cavalier, I had no idea what I was going to do. Just waiting, None, zero. Wait, wait, Shaz was waiting for you to trip and fall and yeah. do this thing. I mean, honestly, it was like we moved down here and we kind of moved into our house, and it's like, well, what do we do? And I had no idea that the cities are kind of associated with different industries. Uh, I am a media entertainment technology guy. There wasn't a lot of that at the big end of town in Brisbane. I didn't know. I had no idea. But within two weeks of moving here, I met some people who have become some of the most influential and um, guiding people in my entire life in Australia. I've been here 10 years now. So um, I got stupidly lucky just ridiculously lucky that met and a very, very powerful investment banker who was influenced with a lot of people and became, a, you know, one of my dearest friends met another guy. I mean, there's, there's basically, I met two people and those two people introduced me to everybody else. Yeah. Right. So just got tripped and fell into the right people. Wow. So, and I had no clue what I was going to do yeah, at well. all and didn't care. You know, <laughs> that's good. Well, you've taken a massive chance, haven't you? Like yeah. you've followed followed your love and you yeah. know found your home. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I was worried about that bloody you know pesky income thing, um, but I figured I'll figure it out, and I did. Yeah. So you, you know? figured it out, and we met you eighteen months ago, I suppose, at Impact yeah. Academy. Yeah. And uh, your wife Sharon and you were there working at uh, Greater Outcomes, yep. and uh, there was an event sort of end of last year. It was a a diagnosis with, with yeah. Sharon. Run us run us through that. Yeah, so it was um it was one of those amazing things that that a lot of my life has had to do with social enterprise and social impact, from participant to the children's books that I write and things. So it's been a big part of my life. And to be able to work in a completely dedicated environment around social impact and be able to meet guys like yourself and, and others who just are so, you know, incredibly expi- inspiring. Like I love working across portfolios of of startups that are disparate and be able to help. Um, and I was in the place. And then my son got sick and, you know, kind of you know, sinusitis and some things. And with, oh, no, 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 it just didn't get better. 
just didn't get better, didn't get better, didn't get better. It was a really slow It was just, he just, I mean, in April of 2018, he came back from state title baseball and had a series of sicknesses, and then he got some very big ones, like a very heavy, heavy kind of alien chestbuster parasite, and then he got some other, and ended up with Lyme disease. Which, you know, in Australia doesn't exist, so, but I'm not going to go there. <laughs> That's a whole other thing. Uh, but so my wife and I are managing that while having this incredible joy of being able to work with folks like yourself in, in the social impact environment. And then my wife went from mammogram to breast cancer surgery in 10 days. Like yeah. diagnosis, boom, get in here. Like well, you never want to hear rare and aggressive <laughs> from your oncologist. <laughs> Just flattened so that was just a regular checkup she was just her yearly checkup and and the mammogram came up fine but she i mean it's just like you know women are incredible they just know stuff she knew something was wrong like just knew something was wrong because just something's off it wasn't like oh there's a lump right it was just knew something was wrong so got the mammogram you're fine no 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 i need the ultrasound Right, so the wand and, you know, she made them go deeper and deeper and deeper. And they're like, no, no, no. Ooh, what's that? Right, tiny, 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 little, tiny thing. Biopsy, boom, rare and aggressive, boom, get in here. Wow. So, yeah. <clears throat> so that so, was just a gut, like a gut feel? Just gut. You know, it's kind of crazy channeling the universe stuff. Yeah. You know, she just knew. Because if she had walked out after the mammogram, you know, God knows. Like... Combined, missed it with rare and aggressive. I don't know. So you're so you're dealing with, and I remember when you were going through that stuff with your son. Yeah, I remember that's unfolding. Yeah, how? Um, yeah, a lot of unknowns. Yeah, a lot of unknowns. Yeah, well, we didn't know what was wrong with him. Yeah, you know, like they treat this, and that's done. Get the testing. Okay, that thing is done. Why isn't he better? Mm. Oh, well, he's got this. Right, and have to go to integrated doctors and outside the traditional GP system and all that to find out that it's actually this and then it's that and then it ends up with Lyme. And just to find out that what it is mm. was a relief. But by the time we found out what it is, my wife was in radiation therapy. Wow. So, you know, it was kind of like, yay, but holy crap. So that's a bit of a <laughs> double, yeah. double whammy. Yeah, it was at the same time. Yeah. So, so what was happening with you through all this? How were you... I would love to look you guys in the face and say <clears throat> I was the picture of stability, organization, power through it, you know. But no, I fell categorically apart. Completely fell apart. Yeah. Held it together for as long as I could, balancing, you know, the complete unknowns of my son. The tr- a lot of the treatments were, were making him crazy. His mind leached of so much like zinc and iron and copper frontal lobe cognitive reasoning type stuff yeah um then put on heavy heavy antibiotics i mean his his mind went completely nuts so he's uh, he was all over the shop and my wife's in incredible pain you know being radiated every single day i mean it's like a second degree sunburn every day of your life right and all of the side effects so, I just had no idea what to do. None. And I, you've got no Sharon's family's down. No, no, Sharon's, Sharon's family's all all around us. Okay, uh, and there's there is cancer in her family. Yeah, so yep, yep. there was a lot of calm in the family and a lot of like support in the family. But I just I think that part of my problem where I ended up kind of falling apart was that I just really thought that. I'd be that guy that had their shit together, right? I thought I'd be that guy. Because, like, mm. I'm, I'm the kind of guy you want if the house is burning, mm. right? Like, mm. I'm the kind of guy, right, okay. <laughs> Have you got the kids? Have you got the cat? Have you got the pictures? Have you got this? Okay, good. We're, it's just the house. Don't worry about it. Okay, we're outside, right? I'm that guy. I've always been that guy. How many houses have burned <clears> down in your well, time, no, it's just <laughs> metaphorically, you know? Oh, right. Yeah. But I can, <laughs> it sounds like you'd been through that. No, before. no, but I'm, I'm that I've, I've always been that guy. When there's yeah, the bigger the problem, like, I don't handle little stuff. It's the bigger the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fine. That's me. Okay. I like that, ding, ding, yeah, ding, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. Just and I thought this is the biggest problem ever in life. Mm. Okay, opposite. Just didn't know what to do. Well, it's your entire family, right? Yeah. It's like, what do you? It's hard enough to deal with, you know, what the unknowns of what your son's mm. going through, 
and then you know as parents and then to have half of that yeah. you know and i you know i was just paralyzed mm. and guilt ridden and trying to figure out what to do at any given moment um and just didn't handle it well at all. So you said that you said you thought you'd like to be that guy. I mean, yeah. I think most guys could relate to that, right? I think most guys would like to think that they would be that backbone, you know, of pillar of strength. Yeah. But that's not how it turned out. No. So how how sort of did it like look? Look, it's just uh, held on skin of our teeth. You know, my wife, on top of going through all of the therapy, just really was incredible with my son. Um, I was trying to do the work thing. Like, I think what I did is I, I did the classic non-balanced thing. I kind of said, well, I can't really deal with a lot of it, so I'm just going to do the work thing. And I'm going to make sure that that, because, you know, these, like, going through this stuff is expensive. Um, Shit, yeah. I, and it was, it was kind of a series of well-meaning bad decisions, right? That when I knew they were both okay, right, like, got the cancer we got it okay and we know it's lyme disease and it's treatable in this way right and i wasn't like falling apart during that whole thing i just it was messy right i wasn't that strong guy that i want like you know probably used to a bit more structure well yeah i I mean yes i was used to structure that Mm. either i was a part of or i was controlling and all of a sudden the structure gets blown out and you have a new structure i think i coped for a while but when when they, when I knew that they were going to be okay, I just absolutely fell over, just completely fell over. Wow! Because you're putting yeah. so much into helping them and mm-hmm. you know work so hard, mm-hmm. I suppose. And I had a bunch of stuff that had happened in my life, work related, in the prior year, where my mental health wasn't that great yeah. to start with, because um, I'd just gone through some stuff that I'd never gone through before, very high pressure, some AXS listed stuff that, that it was all fine. It's just, I hadn't dealt with it and the pressure was incredible and I wasn't coping well. And then sickness, sickness. And then by the time I got to the end of 2018, it was just a full train wreck. And I think it was one of these things where I knew that I needed to get some help and to, and to, you know, figure out a way to heal and figure out a way to cope and all that stuff. You know, there's so much available. There's so many resources. It's so easy to pick up the phone, go see somebody, talk to a mate, those types of things. But when you're going a thousand miles an hour, like, and the train is falling apart and you know that there's a wall, it's like some, I, I'm, I must be that guy that just needed to hit the wall. Um, I think that's which pretty is common, not fun. Mate. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. It does, I don't think it's fun, but I think it's pretty common, right? Because you can like you're a smart guy, like you know, as you said, you know what's out there, mm. you know what's you know a healthy you know approach mm. and things that you should be doing. But yeah, when you're going a million miles an hour, you're right, and I think that's so common for a lot of people. And you can offer mm. assistance, and you can offer help, yeah. and you can know what's out there, but it's not until everything comes crashing down, and it is until you. And until I think you that, have that one moment. of the big things that I that I learned looking back on it is that. I was feeling very guilty about knowing that I was not in a good place when my wife and my son were so, they were, they were in such bad shape um, and they needed me so much. And I was feeling like I was unable to help them because I felt like I was falling apart. And then you compound that with I feel guilty because I'm not being that guy. Mm. You know, I'm not being that husband and that dad, right? Um, so it just spirals, you know, you go, I'm letting my family down and I know it. Why? Because I feel terrible because of this stuff that happened, which geez, it seems really insignificant, but man, it's making, and just that, that kind of chatterbox, you know, you just get into that spiral of blame and guilt and every, and you end up paralyzed. Well, where, where, like, how were you coping with it? You know what I mean? Like, what, what, what? Didn't, didn't, I didn't cope at all. I mean, yeah. you know, probably had a too few many beers and wines and probably too many, you know, yeah. <laughs> too many um, uh, beat myself up sessions, too many um, not calm moments. Yeah. Right? Um, it, I didn't deal with it until I smacked it in the wall. Yeah. And then just went full on. Right. Okay. Uh, I looked at it as being really existential, kind of life or death, right? Yeah, right? For myself, but also for my family. Like, you asshole. You know, your family just went through this, and yes, you were there, but you weren't really present. You know, you weren't really there for them. 
you know, you wake up in this wreckage and you kind of go, oh, well, I'm okay. You're okay. You're okay. Everything's sweet. And then you realize, no, it's not. But it's a trauma. Like, it's ultimately it's trauma. It's a traumatic event, <clears throat> right? Yeah. And then what you were talking about, going through some stuff in 2018, yeah. ASX stuff. Before. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like, it's, it is traumatic. And it's mm. not, trauma presents itself in, in lots of different ways, yeah, right? Yeah. And also, you know, when you think you're on top of things and you think you're managing and you're just hanging in there, it's amazing how beasts, you know, rear themselves and present Absolutely. themselves. And it and it can only take like a significant life event like what you went for through. For them to all come ahead. For, to, to, for all to come yeah. to a head. Exactly well, right. I think that's important to, you know, takeaways to deal with that shit when it pops well, up. You know, I, look, it's that proverbial, you're in a, tu- you're in a dark tunnel. Is yeah. the light the end or is it a train coming at you? Right. Um, we all want to think that we will recognize it. We all know the signs. There is so much experience. I mean, the work that you guys are doing is helping thousands and hundreds of thousands of, of people, and but particularly men, to to stop that denial and to stop that you know shoving it down and to and to bring it to the forefront. But I think it's like, geez, I wish I'd been preventative. But it's up to the individual, you know. You know that's it what we. That's what it's. You know, no matter like the last podcast we had with, um, you know, Nick Sutherland. Mm. It's all about taking ownership yourself. So it's no matter how much noise Dan or I make or you make as well. Now it's sort of like fuck, unless someone actually goes and does it themselves, yep. it not it doesn't mean anything. Well, you can't. I, you know, a lot of people get to the place where they cannot be helped by anyone but themselves. Yeah. At the, at the start, you have to make that pledge, yeah. and you have to. I mean, it, one of the it, it's such a, it's, it's incredible this this great Australian saying, right? Look after yourself, right? And. I don't know what the American equivalent is, but um, but I hear it, you know, for for years and years. Look after yourself, mate. Look after yourself, mate. Never really heard it, right? But when I realize that when an Australian says "look after yourself, mate," they mean it, like look after yourself. Right? There's care. There's love. You are you are expressing something to a mate. It may seem like you know a passing comment. A, a passing yeah. comment. I hear it now and say it now completely differently. Right. If I hear, look after you know yourself, mate. Um, whether the person knows what I went through, what my family went through, all those types of things, or not, I, I pay I pay absolute attention to it yeah. because it's this beautiful thing that, in this wonderful culture, um, and wonderful uniqueness that is Australian, this look after yourself thing, it just cuts. It really just cuts right to the heart of. This is a wonderful country that has amazing people who care about each other. And even though that comment seems so just off Throw the away. cuff, it's not. That is dead set about as fair dinkum as it gets, isn't it? I love it. <laughs> I love it that too. was a cracker. <laughs> that I was. Didn't, I, yeah, I suppose we do say that a lot, don't we? Yeah, we, we definitely do, for sure. Yeah, but you're right, it is, it's 100% true. That, mm. that's, that is dinky die right there. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> Put a bit of that, yeah, on your toast. But I get, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's cool. But it's like it's funny because it's hindsight, perspective, mm. all that sort of stuff, right? It's like not until you've been to that. Point yeah, but you've learned you, a shitload. You've learned. You've mm. learned a shitload. I mean, there's so many people out there who are treading that line. Yeah. They're just. They're just only just. Right? Well, but you also it's you realize that the fragility. Right. I've done a lot of work, had a lot of help, done a lot of things, made a lot of changes. I am, it's a razor's edge. Mm. You realize all of us, right? Just one, one straw away from breaking the back. One thing. And it could be external, it could be internal. Like the vigilance I have now for looking after myself Mm. and looking after others is priority. Yeah. But I mean, the the interesting thing is like we're out in Longreach on the weekend. And, uh, G'day Longreach. G'day Longreach. G'day Longreach. And uh, <laughs> we were basically, yeah, there talking to heaps of locals. We were selling some shirts. And uh, one of the people that came up to us, uh, a couple, they bought some shirts. And um, how it goes like really often uh, at those sorts of events is that they uh, their son had, had, had taken his life about mm. 12 months ago. Mm. And uh, I just basically said, you know, like, how are you, how are you guys going? And, you know, obviously they were still very shaken up about it and still processing still processing it but uh it was like you know have you have you gone and and, and spoke to anyone they're like no we've you know we've got a family community like we talk to them and, and stuff like that and you know it's sort of people 
keeps hold, like struggling with 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 trauma like mm. that, and mm. don't go reach out and, and see people. And it's for us now, it's sort of like, why don't you? But they don't know any different, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. it's like... Well, it's part of that processing journey, I, I guess, know, isn't it? I like know, but it's, it's like, oh, shit, I wish I could just have your brain for five minutes and, you know, get yeah. you to ring this person yeah. and then I'll get out of your brain and leave you there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if only. So, but it's sort of... Okay, I suppose that's what we're trying to do right here now. The shirts that you make, the, the clothing yeah. you make, the hat, you're... Enti- you know, you're, you're going and saying you can't ignore this right but i don't think people realize when there is a point to go like that's fucking massive thing that's happened to those people that is massive right Mm. like you 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 don't have to sit there in your own head and try and deal with that shit Mm. you know what i mean and Mm. like that's i suppose this is the the crux of what we're trying to get this is the biggest hurdle that people currently face it's the fact that they don't actually know when they are at that point well, that's when, like when you, you go and, when you go and speak to someone. You know what I mean. And it's not until it's, this is the whole. If you have got a bone hanging out your leg, you're like, yeah, shit, right. Yeah. I've got to I've got to get a cast on that. Like, yeah, but no brainer. But if you've, but we're trying. I think what we're trying to do is be more preventative rather than for sure. Yeah, so yeah, you know for what sure. I mean. So yes. like, let's go. Like, let's get up and go to the gym and let's start working out. Start eating a few more veggies and yep. let's start training the brain. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, and also let's cut the bullshit. Which is the biggest part? Well, yeah. I think that somebody—if you talk about those folks in Long Reach—I mean, it, and it's—it's—it's it's, um, very germane to anybody who is going through a trauma that has survived a trauma, like in their case. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's guilt. There's incredible. Like my my son took his life. My son took his life. Right. That's yeah. that is the consuming in their head. They don't. I would imagine that, the, and this is just a gross generalization, but there's there may be a sense that I don't have any right to talk about myself, right? It's about what I'm going to do, how I'm going to deal with my son. It's all about him, right? Um, I survived, right? So I'm I'm fine. I'm, mm. fine, I'm fine. I'm fine. Mm. Right? Um, uh, so I, and, you know, you hear I know about what you mean. You put they're, they're looking yeah. at it from the, the perspective of saying that's way worse than what I am. So shit, I'm all right. But you know, you see it a lot in in families that have trauma, where there is, a, for example, a child dies of something. Right? The other, you, as a parent, you there's there's the loss of that child. But what about the other ones? Mm. Right? Um, <clears throat> what about mates? What about family? What about all those things? It, it's, it just goes back to everything that you're saying. Preventative. Yeah. <clears throat> right. It's not that hard to eat your veggies. Right, get a good Put night. A bit of gravy like, on there or something. Like, yeah, like just <laughs> lubricate it a bit. Yeah, but <laughs> that's it. Put it go down. Put it in a neutral bullet. Oh, yeah, that's it. God. That's it. Yeah, that's right. possible. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So you've yeah wow. So so people who have lived and experienced Silicon Valley are not immune to going through the <sighs> same the same stuff that. Us, yeah, well, that's a key takeaway. Us I regular think. humans oh. go through. No, Look, it's it doesn't discriminate, does it? Yeah, it doesn't discriminate. And yet, <clears throat> I think one of the things that I would say about the Hollywood Silicon Valley environments is that um, it's weird because it's kind of insipid. It's expected, known, everybody has troubles, there's addictive troubles, there's this, there's that. There's, that, there's, that. there's so much, yeah. right? There's so much trauma, there's so much issues in that industry but it's almost sometimes forgiven or swept under the carpet because there's kind of an art to that too like you can be crazy and brilliant so people forgive a lot of bad behavior that that on a job site would not be tolerated at all well i mean (laughs) well all of that's coming out you know has been coming out lately like you're Weinstein's and you and you yeah. and, and all this kind of yeah. stuff like but you know people knew this stuff was going on they there do. were people around it you know yeah. it's do. like you forgive it because of the beast in the industry that you're in is almost seems bigger than yeah. you know the problem that was being well but it's from like you said about the, you know there's a bone sticking out of your leg you go to the uh, go go to cast well mm. I mean if somebody is is not it's on a building site and there are, you know, there is something that is going to break and kill someone because someone didn't do a good job putting something together. It's kind of obvious, right? Mm. Like we mm. need to address that because there's a health and safety issue in Hollywood and Silicon Valley, right? It's code, right? I mean, there's the code the, isn't life or death. Well, code isn't life or death. And like acting isn't life or death. I mean, yes, there's all kinds of explosions and all that stuff around it. But point is, is that I think that unfortunately, um, there is, there's, a, there's two faces to the beast, 
in those industries. There's a lot of forgiveness. There's a lot of sweeping it under the carpet. Now it's changing radically, like the industry, the trades industry that you're, I mean, there's a lot of stuffing down. You guys are doing such an amazing job of allowing people to express themselves, allowing those feelings that they've shoved down to come out, which is every bit as hard as reigning in crazy, bad behaving people because of money. Mm. Do you reckon there's a lot of people mm. out there who are sitting pretty nervous, you know, waiting to be the next news headline? Because mm-hmm. there's no place to hide anymore. Mm. This is one of the greatest things about social media. Mm. Stop behaving badly. You're going to get caught. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like the Brisbane scene because uh, it's so, especially in like the small startup mm. area, mm. it's everyone knows everyone. Absolutely. You know, and Absolutely. like there's a couple of bad apples and everyone knows who they are. So, I mean, you can't, yeah, there's no hiding. No, you got to do things right. There isn't. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the people that, that, that got necked recently in Hollywood and all that kind of stuff did because there was a platform like Facebook and Instagram and others in which there could be expression that would be so widely embraced, adopted, and, and proliferated by people who had been through the same thing that it didn't become about one producer doing something bad to these people. It became about a movement, right? Me Too happened like that, mm. right? Overnight. It wasn't just the Weinsteins. It wasn't just started there. Mm. Boom, mm. right? So there's no place to hide. Thank God. Yeah, yeah. That's epic. It is epic. Oh, yeah, there must be, you know, I was just going back to that wind up here a little bit but I think there's people in those industries you're talking about who have got you don't get a chance every day right you know it's not every day that you get a chance to prove yourself in Hollywood or you know you know get a gig at one of these big companies and so to make that work and to take that opportunity for what people perceive as success everything else goes to the back burner including your personal health yep your values your health your relationships, your morals. I mean, people throw away their lives for money so easily. For money, fame, power, fortune, mm. those types of things. Mm. Um, happens all too, all too much. But I think that, that you know, we've talked about a lot of things today, but everything from, from the good about social media the, and, com- and, you know, the mutts, <laughs> you know? Well, everybody, so, so many people talk about, I mean, you have these conversations all the time about oh social media ah oh, it's mm. such a you know evil beast rah, rah, rah. but it's been brilliant for us absolutely well, for so many people. yeah but I mean you guys uh, but rule on Facebook yeah but the thing is it's sort of like <laughs> a rule on Facebook no but the idea that there's you know with everything there's a positive and a negative and I suppose that I don't know well what we're doing on social media is trying to sort of cut the bullshit and put people's real like you know we're Keep doing the mutt, mutt mondays now you know stories, stories of trade, trade mutt, mutt. Yeah. and we're just putting people's raw shit out there that's mm. true from the heart what's happened let's have it out yeah. rather than the you know the photo on the floating the flamingo on, on yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> but you know sitting on the pool in on instagram and you yeah. know like taking 30 photos to try and get the right one and, yeah. you know, they're hating their lives. It's sort of like, this is real and we're, oh. we're you know, trying to work through this shit. Yeah. You know, change people's Mate, perceptions. 100%. Yeah. So what's next for Kratoms? Baseball. Yeah, Baseball. Nice. That's good. Sunday. How important is it to have that outlet? Vital. Yeah, nice, mate. Vital. Fantastic. Because that would have been a big support network for you too when everything oh, was happening. Oh, God, yes. You'd be, yeah. you'd be amazed. Yeah. Be amazed at, at how much the baseball community rallied yeah club right. sport in australia oh. is like that's what it's all about something i've never seen like honestly i'd never seen when when because we're all involved right um when cooper went down the club and the kids his teammates and then when sharon went down and when i went down right so you got the whole family going down linear the baseball community just rallied 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 and picked us up and welcomed and you don't need to play or come back and play just come out, don't come out, it's all right. Like I, you know, I thought, oh God, I'm going to never play again because I didn't play for half a season. And they're like, After mate. taking 20 years <laughs> off. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, She'll be right, mate. That's awesome. She'll be right. <laughs> and just to be go. clear to all the listeners out there, Sharon's in remission now. Oh yes, Sharon's yep. good, cancer free. Uh, Cooper's doing really well. He is back playing ball and this weekend he's going to participate in the under 16 state titles. Oh, brilliant. Love it. So, yeah. In Cairns. In Cairns. So, 18 months later, he's on a state title team. Are you heading up there? Yeah, Thursday. Awesome. So, I'm coaching, assistant coaching with uh, 
two other guys that I coach with, and it's fantastic. I love them. Beautiful awesome, kids mate. are amazing. Beautiful time of year up there. Yeah. Well, thanks for your time, oh, mate. Thank you. Thanks. Good chat. Thank I think you, people boys. will get a bit out of that. Yeah, mate. Thanks so much so. for coming in. You're welcome. If for nothing else, for uh, f- for the American who's just nailed some Australian vernacular, <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant, mate. Love your work. Love your work. Good thanks, on you, Adams. Cheers, mate. Thank you. If you're a fan of Trademutt's 120 Grit podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a message on Facebook or Instagram or shoot us an email at admin at trademutt.com.